0: Welcome to Where the Lotus Grows, Getting Dirty and Growing Strong with Kimberly Searle and Tanya Drew. As integrative, sustainable movement educators and health advocates, our goal is to provide you with evidence-based information gathered from research, experts in the field, and our personal and professional experience to help you advocate for your own health and wellness. Our mission is to collaboratively navigate the thick, muddy waters of life to empower, Accept and cultivate our most authentic selves. Hi, Courageotarians. Welcome back. Today we have a review on iTunes from Gastrock Rock. Great topics on vulnerability. I appreciate the growth through vulnerability approach Tanya and Kim take in this
1: podcast. Thank you, Grassstruck Rock. Yes, thank you so much. And a reminder to our listeners, you can have your review read on the air if you leave us one at iTunes or even send us one via Facebook or email. So today, our topic, we're going to look at money matters. So we've done... Have we done a business episode before? I know we've done a lot of discussing of business things. Um, Yes, we did. We did a business episode. So this one is a little bit about money manners and the business of body work and independent health educators. 50% of today's topic is new for me and not so new for you, Kim. (laughs) So prior (laughs) to becoming a yoga therapist, hello, Jessa, (laughs) I was a yoga instructor for almost 10 years and always was an independent contractor or considered an independent contractor. I didn't always run my teaching as a business. Initially I started with like enrichment, you know, just once a week after, um, you know, in the evenings at the high school or at a church. And it was just a little extra money in my pocket. It wasn't even anything that was claimable. But as I grew I started to do what I will refer to as kind of gigging. So that's the independent contractor way of doing things. Um, and I progressed into working for different studios and different gyms and kind of traveling around, taking equipment with me and teaching classes wherever I could fit in. So different studios, different gyms and uh, kind of traveling all around town, doing kind of piecemealing it all together. An hour at a time. So that was kind of my start. And now that I am a yoga therapist and I have a space in my own home, I want to shift gears a little more to my own home studio. And that's, I've shifted pretty much to that over the last two years. Although I still go out and teach a few, I do some privates where I teach on location. I want to talk to you, Kim, about the ins and outs of owning a brick- and mortar studio, but first I want to back up just a little bit and just take a look at bodywork professions and health education in general. So for our listeners, uh, maybe you already know, but for those that don't, this often involves uh, teaching, instructing, training or educating in some form. It can be therapeutic and maybe even spiritual. So thinking about yoga therapy, massage therapy personal training, fitness instruction of all types, health educating and speaking of all types. Maybe uh, the spiritual work is like uh, Reiki, chakra or energy work. You're just basically, you know, body work and health educating professions. Um, And the requirements for these can wide range from certificate type. To licensure to maybe even an academic degree. So, yoga therapy, Kim and I hold one of the only academic degrees in that field. I'm sure that will be growing. Um, We have a friend, Ola, who's a massage therapist, but I think she got advanced training. Hi, Ola, we love you. We got advanced training uh, in massage therapy. So, I don't know if it's a degree per se, but then that field also requires licensure in our state. Yoga therapy does not. Um, I'm not sure, I think health coach or health education requires licensure, but personal training does not. I need to fact check that for our site. I'll put that up. But, um, so there's, and some fields really only require personal experience and practice. So if you've learned or apprenticed with others, then you may open a practice just based on the information that you know and that you have. So it's kind of uh, a wide range of requirements to get here. So back to the gigging or independent contractor, this often includes working for others. So for me, that looked like gyms and studios and sometimes private clients. Uh, I, like I said, it was piecemeal and hourly and often required my to travel and haul equipment. Uh, tax-wise, you're 1099 at the end of the year. So it's your responsibility to keep track of your expenses for tax purposes so that you can try to even that out and mitigate it. The the studio owner or the gym will give you a 1099 at the end of the year, which just lists the how much you grossed. And then it's your responsibility to work with your accountant or to, if you're really into math and tax code, figure that out for yourself and determine how much tax you owe at the end of the year it still requires a little bit of more work but you don't have to worry about you know keeping the lights on you're going from place to place um Typically, most requires you to have independent liability insurance. And then for your own peace of mind, the place of practice should probably have some form of insurance as well. Um, There are pros and cons to this type of work versus how Kim and I will discuss it. Gigging really requires you to have to keep track of a lot more things personally. So you have to keep track of your mileage and your gas and your expenses But you also, like I said, you don't have to pay any bills as far as, you know, the building. You don't have to worry quite as much about um, the the little minutiae of the actual business itself. Usually the business owner handles all of those things. But then you're splitting the profit. So you're either getting paid per student or client or you're getting paid a flat rate that you have to negotiate ahead of time. And so that can fluctuate with the season, the time of year, um, the populations that you're working with. It still requires a little bit of self-advertisement, but if you're working for a gym or studio, they may be doing the majority of the advertisement. Um, Student or client retention may be on you, but it may be a less overall expense than if you own the studio yourself. So for me, for example, when I worked at the gym, I had to have a minimum of three participants in a class to hold the class. And obviously, it was part of my job to try and increase that. But it was not my sole responsibility. The gym did a lot of work to recruit people to class. And then ideally, retention was just they took the class and they liked it. They liked me as an instructor. They kept coming back versus a... um, provide having to do more advertising advertising they already had kind of a built-in clientele Um, similarly with the yoga studio it was more you know what works on a schedule so I we both want to talk about virtual studio and doing things online because that's new and exciting for both of us but before we get to that Kim I want to ask you about the pros and cons of a brick and mortar studio because that looks very different compared to independent, independent contractor. And I just want to say it's appealing because all of the money is yours, but so are all of the expenses. So (laughs) what does that, what does that really look like?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I get into this, um, sort of, um, debate or soapbox with a lot of my peers and, um, I usually have a warning, like, do you really want to know my perspective? And then sometimes I apologize because I get a little really passionate about sharing my struggles. Um, And it really does come from a place of um, three places. One, you know, look, it's the suffering in the hustle is really real. Uh, There has been a source of pain over the years um, from being a business owner And um, then I'm also passionate because I don't want to see, um, especially female business owners, make some of the same mistakes I've made. But, um, you know, I started off with a home studio and then I did uh, my group stuff out at the community college and then I got my first um, brick and mortar location and the college started to was having they you know they have problems. There's only so many rooms and so many things that need to be done. And so now the college um, from that period of time would send people to me as my brick and mortar space has grown. And now eleven years later, I'm in what I call the studio of dreams. It's my ideal setup of what I think a studio should look like. But when I was first setting up my business entity, and I was meeting with a accountant and business attorney. They said, look, you can do the subcontractor route, but really they're employees and you should just bite the bullet and start there. And I have to say that that's very difficult for a studio owner to do. Uh, The profit margins are very slim. And I always say, you know, you have to have everyone in the rowboat facing the right way. And when you have put together a team, There's always someone poking holes in the boat. Some people are sleeping in the boat. Others are facing forward and rowing and being on track. And to get everybody in the rowboat, rowing together, working towards a common goal is very difficult. There's a lot to uh, being a class. I think whether you're an employee, a subcontractor, um, or renting space, there's a lot of responsibility for you. In a small business, uh, you know that business owner has taken on the risk of signing a long-term lease. and some in some of the bigger communities, I'm hearing where even if the business fails, so let's say the per- business owner has a personal hiccup in life, which can happen at any time, the landlords are going after them personally as well. So oftentimes that business owner not only ends up with a bankrupt business but also a bankrupt personal. Um, identity. They uh, also, you know, put up all the remodel costs, which are in the tens of thousands of dollars. They do the advertising. And when that individual on the team decides to maybe not show up for a class because they have something better to do, or, you know, they're not keeping up with their CECs and so on and so forth, you know, the business owner is left with the left behind abandoned client they're left behind with that damaging their perception because even though you're renting space in there, people still look at that person who signed all the leases as the last stop. You know, they've they've kind of put their neck out and believed in you. And that business owner is giving you an opportunity, um, a wonderful place to start to establish yourself. It is not um, that business owner's responsibility to ensure that you pay for yourself. And I've had people say, well, you're, you know, you're making yoga too corporate or you're trying to make a bunch of money. No, the business owner is really just trying to keep the door open to keep the bills paid and to have money left over, um, for them to cover their survival needs and maybe make a little profit, which is rightfully that. So, I mean, they, that they are worth that. And, um, they shouldn't have to feel bad about that happening. So,
1: right? you know, my well, expectation. Well, just to pause. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I, I didn't mean to cut you. <laughs> I no. kind of did mean to cut you off. But but what I wanted to say with that is I think, you know, in particular with yoga, and I think you, you and I have talked about this privately, um, because yoga is a beautiful thing and it should be shared and there's this big passion and drive behind it um, there's kind of a false notion that, that it, or, or maybe even a guilt because you struggle with it, even as an instructor of, you know, how much should you be profiting on this wonderful thing? It should be something that's shared. You're trying to share it with anyone who will listen. Um, and there's really a fine line. I think that even as practitioners and lovers of yoga um, the idea of making a profit because you have to, because like you said, you're from the business owner's perspective and you're a independent local business owner. You're not the Walmart of yoga. Um, so mm-hmm. like there's, there's, there's two different things. You view the owner as the man <laughs> and the one who's trying to cash in and, you know, maybe uh, it could even be viewed and maybe it has in some ways as like cultural appropriation. You're taking this beautiful thing of yoga and making it this commercial business. And yet the other side of that, like what you're saying as the business owner is, no, you should be able to turn a profit on your livelihood. You've put all this money into your training and your education and you're growing of this passion. Why shouldn't you be able to make money from that? Same as your instructors. Um but being a business owner kind of puts you in the, that little predicament of um, being judged from the outside as maybe trying to make too much off of something. Well, I mean, 11 years later, I work
0: 12-hour days, most days of the week. So there are, like, I just took Memorial Day weekend off, but I can't tell you before that when I actually had a day off. Right. Um so even if I'm not in front of a client there's so much that needs to be done for the business 11 years later I still don't still after I pay all the business expenses do not make enough money to cover my own survival needs and by that I mean my own housing my own health care my own food my own transportation costs let alone anything for savings for retirement so in starting this business 11 years ago, it has really put me behind in what should be put away for retirement, let alone being able to stand on myself as an independent female, which I was used to when I was in the corporate world. Um, And even if I explain that to subcontractors, employees, renters, and I say, you know, all I'm asking is for you to cover your expenses for right. the hour that you're here, for your salary, for what you need. And I've actually had people come back and, and I said, so you think when I make and I share what I make, that it's okay for me to make less and give that to you because you're not covering what the minimum expectation is. And the answer is yes. And I think that's wrong. Um,
1: I mean, That's a it's, hard r- it's wrong to swallow. on many
0: levels. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, essentially, you're paying your employees more than you're, you're paying them a living wage. And you, at the end of the day, once all the bills are paid, are not making a living wage yourself. So you're actually making less than your employees because you're the owner.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, you know, here's a couple of things that are on my part. You know, okay. when I started the business, like, shortly thereafter, the bubble burst, mm. I did market my prices anywhere from 20 to $40 below market value. Well, now 11 years later, I'm seeing where that is creating a suffering for me, where I'm not getting the salary to which I'm entitled to or, or deserve, or what my value is, my worth, however you want to word that. Um, and I've only raised my prices once in 11 years. So my utilities and, and all of my software expenses, my website expenses, those companies raise their prices every single year. And I haven't passed that on to my clients. And it really all boils down to this as my own self-worth. So now I get 11 years later when they say, pay yourself first. Because mm-hmm. if you pay yourself first, you're more apt to make those more difficult um, decisions of, hey, you know, my expenses keep raising. I'm going to have to raise my prices for my clients. Um, you're not covering your expenses. Okay. If if that doesn't change in 90 days, I guess the choice is for you to leave the team, right? If this ex- software is getting so expensive that I can't afford it, I guess I'm going to have to shop around to others. It may decrease what my clients are used to receiving, but if it's now priced out of the market, you know, I'm going to have to make that decision. Instead, I've left all those decisions to me making less money. Um, and that's that's a self-worth value within me that I'm continually working on now that I'm aware of it, you know, 11 years later.
1: right well it's all very eye-opening so I just want to touch on some of that you talked about some of these things so things that when you're the independent contractor and you're just gigging around and you're or you're renting space which I want to get to that because you've kind of changed your model more recently Uh um to allow independent contractors to come in but they're essentially just renting space from you like a like a hairdresser would rent a booth so more like and I know in massage therapy this is this may be more common too where you can just pay for the room and use it and you've kind of switched to that model correct
0: yeah I, I got burnt out and I realized you know I left my corporate world for a reason and I no longer wanted to run my business um, like that. So now I rent space. You have to have a certain education level. So I check education level. I check to see that you have insurance and that you're going to, you know, you have a certain level of integrity, right? Yamas niyamas, that you're going to take this beautiful space that I have, you know, really risked my entire life on. You're going to respect that space. And now I rent space by the hour to people um, for group classes and or workshops. And um, that is bringing me more peace currently at the moment.
1: That's really nice. That's really nice. So there's still, so we kind of covered employees to have or not to have, and you've covered some pros and cons with that. Some other expenses that I don't know if people think about when they consider what a brick and mortar studio is because of course there's, you know, keeping the heat and the lights on, uh, advertising. You mentioned website, so website, and you mentioned, um, software. And I don't think that a lot of people who don't run a business don't think of software, but you have to have a point of sale. Um, if you're working in therapeutics in any way, you have to be HIPAA compliant within, if you're keeping client records, Um, you mentioned, you know, sending out little reminders or friendly little messages. That's part of the software development and how that works. Uh, There's just your brand development overall. And that includes the the studio. Like you said, you put your life's work into making it beautiful and a place. And that is your brand. You, Kimberly Searle is, you know, all throughout your studio. (laughs) And so that is what it is. Which is essentially the customer experience, what they have when they walk in the door. And that helps to retain the clients. Um, you know, maintenance and cleaning and equipment and all of these things are, I don't think, necessarily thought of or maybe not thought of right off the bat until you sit down to develop your business plan and you're like, oh. Wow, <laughs> I have to have <laughs> all of these things, and then, like you said, then in the end, once you have all those things, it's great that you're in the black. But what if you're not paying yourself? <laughs> then right, you're not you're not making a wage. Well, I you um, know, I love what I do and everything,
0: but eleven years later, you know, you have to look at reality and go, like, well, I love what I do,
1: but <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. And, you know, it's kind of, it's similar, but as you were saying that it reminded me, remember when you first move out from your parents' house and you have your own thing and like all of a sudden one day you need like a broom or a ladder and you go to get it where it would be and (laughs) then you realize I don't have that. I have to go buy that. I think that employees, subcontractors, renters forget that the person supplying that is the business owner so that you have that,
1: right? (laughs) Moreover, like, um, and you may experience this. So when you own your home for the first time and then something happens, you know, shingles blow off the roof and you have a leak. Oh no, that's your responsibility. You're not calling maintenance (laughs) to come and fix this. It's kind of that, oh, oh, it's all on me now, huh? (laughs) I have to be the one to- you know, whatever it is, do, yeah. the, do the do the dirty work and, and take care of all of that. So I, I mentioned it earlier, but expanding our horizons, we both hope to expand our business virtually. And this is just throwing a couple of ideas out there because we both used digital media to receive instruction. Um, But I don't think either one of us have done the instruction. I mean, I've recorded things for people, but I've never actually done a session or worked with a client digitally yet. Have you? I have. So when I first started the business, I
0: used to do webinars all the time and those were popular. Okay. Right, Right. And now I do Skype sessions for yoga therapy with clients that either are traveling and need to get a session in. Um, maybe they've gone home for a sick parent and or they have a disease condition that can't get them here or they're too far away. So I have been playing around with that in the last um, probably, I don't know, maybe 18 months. So it's fairly new for me to do the face-to-face portion where I've been doing the audio webinar thing for a
1: while. Okay. Similarly, this is something that I want to add to my repertoire and again then it ends up being um you know there's software and learning the ins and outs even of skype right we're talking via skype right now um the ins and outs kind of learning what you have to do and how you have to do and the different options because there's skype there's zoom there's a couple different
0: and i'll tell you why i'm drawn to the digital world my parents are aging i don't live in the same state that they do and I've had to run home a couple of times. And then I think, well, you know, you have these downtimes in between doctors visits and that kind of thing. And how could I be serving my client? And perhaps I could still be serving my client and making a living with a little more flexibility if I went to digital. I've also taught in different countries, different states now. And um, it would be nice to have something to retain those clients with because they ask for items. And so as a business owner, I feel like, well, I left money on the table because I didn't have a polished enough digital package um, to offer them to continue um, their relationship with me.
1: I feel similarly. I have clients that, you know, life changes a little bit and um, it would be nice. I mean, even instances where I would be able to retain a client if they move away um, because I'd have the digital platform to work with. Because once you've started working with someone and they're comfortable with you and that you've built that trust, um, you know, then, then sometimes that's very much worth it to to move beyond, um, you know, even when lifestyle changes to be able to maintain that relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, so also, uh, I wanted to look at, What this looks like coming all together. So the fields are changing quite a bit. Yoga therapy is still fairly new uh, in many areas, in many parts of the United States and and maybe even areas of the world. So there's a lot of options there as far as like our state may eventually require licensure and there may be pros and cons to that. Um, Fitness, health and wellness-based Businesses are really starting to thrive, I think, as forms of preventative medicine, um, just because we've seen such a decline in overall health in our country over the last 30 to 50 years. I think on the same level that that trajectory that health has started to decline, then you're seeing the raise in um, fitness and health related fields for people to be helping others. More and more people are seeking to be proactive in their health and fitness. Stress reduction is a very real and necessary thing in our society right now. So because our lifestyles require it more and more, I think it's becoming, um, I think more people are seeking it. I think, and I think the medical community is starting to get on board and say, hey, you should be doing these self-care things. If you have, um, Diabetes or cardiovascular risk or maybe some of the other when we talk about our stress and disease <laughs> um, areas of the body and other episodes, you know, more and more professionals and clinicians are saying, hey, you should seek, if it's within your budget, um, some sort of, uh, you know, maybe seek a nutritionalist, maybe seek a massage monthly to help reduce your stress, maybe try yoga. A lot of my clients come to me because their doctor recommended that they try yoga or see a a yoga professional. And I think we're seeing that more and more. So I think there's potential for our business to continue to grow. It's just a matter of what does that look like? And then you, like you said, um, being able to make a real living from it and, and pay yourself what you're worth.
0: And I think you have to look at similar um, industries that have similar levers, levels of training and look at how <laughs> that business philosophy is put together because there are some things um, in our yoga community that really need to be reevaluated um, and how things are paid. Um, but, you know, I think it's also... Um, I think it's also important to look at money as energy. Mm -hmm. And there is this energetic um, flow, ebb and flow to it as well. And so when I first started my business, I had a business coach and I've had some throughout, but my very first business coach had me read this book called The Wealthy Spirit by Sherry Campbell. And so it has a Different passage that you read every day, like a little mini blog. Okay. It has a quote, which you know I love quotes, and mm-hmm. then it has an affirmation. <laughs> so you live by the, uh, you know, that's an affirmation that you can kind of remind yourself of every day. And um, so I, you know, if I find myself in negative money thinking, then that affirmation that I read that day helps me, helps pull me back. And I started practicing. Uh, Tosha Silver's Abundance Prayer. And I've been working on that. And, you know, I forget to do it some days. (laughs) So then I'm like, I got to start back again uh, and do it. But she has an Abundance um, Change Me Prayer. And she even has a workshop that she teaches based on her book, Um, It's Not Your Money and How to Live Fully from Divine uh, Abundance. And she has five divine steps that she talks about. She talks about saying the full abundance prayer to start to clean your house. And I know that you, uh, Tanya, like the tidying up, um, lady, uh, then stop complaining Thank about you. dollars. <laughs> so when you stop complaining about money, you know, when you find yourself that you're complaining about money, it's really coming from your inner child stuff as a kid. And then making a statement of gratitude. So even if you can't um, afford to, sometimes we say, you know, if I won the lottery and I was rich, I'd do whatever. But maybe you take something and let's say, for example, you go to this one spot all the time to work on your business stuff. Maybe it's a little diner or a coffee shop or something. Maybe you give them a $50 or $100 tip one day. You know, just to have that sense of gratitude to, to make a grand gesture. And then the last one is to say, it's easy for me to receive. So especially as females, you know, we're so used to giving, giving, giving that we aren't even open to receiving or we don't know how to receive. And really looking at balancing uh, giving and receiving and releasing that self-torture. Um, because you know a lot of our money stuff is courted back to our parents and what we saw growing up
1: right and our sense of feeling or worthiness and and whatever examples they provided No, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. yeah. um we could probably do more episodes on this topic in general, and I feel like we've just kind of scraped the surface with this uh, discussion. Perhaps we will revisit this topic again, uh, particularly as our own businesses start to grow and thrive. Um, it might be interesting to have a personal check-in into the future to discuss how we've grown and evolved. Uh, so that that might be worth it to look into. Um There are definitely pros and cons to the different styles of business, and it really depends on your stage of life and what level of time and money you're able to commit to its growth. So we hope that this helped our listeners today as we discussed some of uh, how we've gone through. And we would love to hear from our listeners if they have a bodywork business story or question that they'd like to share, if they could do that at wherethelotusgrows.com uh, or Facebook, all other things, Where the Lotus Grows. And I think that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much, Kim. Thank you, Jessa, for joining us for this episode. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to Where the Lotus Grows. Join us in further conversations. We believe that you bring valuable knowledge to this community. You can find us at wherethelotusgrows.com where the lotus grows on Instagram and Facebook or Twitter where the lotus G1 because we were not on top of that one remember that though we are professionals in our field the topics discussed and or advice given is general information and not intended to treat or diagnose please seek the guidance of a medical integrative health bodywork or yoga therapy professional for a full evaluation If you like what you hear, please take the time to rate us on iTunes or your preferred podcast platform.